This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Oh, I tell you, Jennifer, she is, she is really a party pooper. This is Dirt and Sprague. Jennifer poops at parties, so she poops at parties, so so and people know this. With Andy Dirt Johnson and Brendan Sprague. I, I poop at parties. I poop at parties, but people don't know because I close the door. Dirt and Sprague on 1080. Where where do she go for it? Does she does she visit the water closet and make door of the open so people may see and smell things? sound horrible. The Fan. All right, welcome back in. Hour number two, Dirt and Sprague here. Portland Sports Leader, 1080 The Fan, 995 HD2 and the Odyssey app. Chris Gordy will join us live from Houston at the bottom of the hour. He'll give us his World Series preview as he sees it in Houston as they get ready for game one on Friday. I mentioned for the break, 88% of the country, according to a study, is rooting against the Houston Astros. So we'll get Chris Gordy's thoughts uh, on that. I imagine he's going to push back a little bit. Oh, and I'm Houston folk is very defensive about their they Astros. They always have been, though. Yeah. Like every every fan base would be. If every it was your fan, market, yes. you'd be the same way. 100% right there, Dirt. They shouldn't have been in the beginning. They should have let it cool and took the brunt of it. <laughs> but they didn't. And I, I think you make a case now that it's okay to move on. But a lot of people will never forget that. I saw there was a video. The Phillies left today for Houston to fly down for game one. Gene Segura, as he was walking to the bus to get on the plane, he was in full uniform. (laughs) Why? He traveled in full uniform. He's ready to go, all right? He's a gamer. Doesn't even need to change. He had his pants on, the sweatshirt. He's dialed in. Every time Gene Segura bats against the Atlanta Braves, I think he's getting a hit. (laughs) He is one of the players that I hate the most because he's so good. I'll never forget there was a random moment. The Giants were in Philly last year, I want to say, and they had they had a like seven-minute celebration because he got his 250th career double. <laughs> People were like, this is a thing? We do this? We sub- I mean, congratulations, but no. we need to stop the game for a ceremony for this? Really? Uh, Portland loses last night. Let me make you feel better before we dive into the Portland Trailblazers getting waxed by the Miami Heat and losing okay. Dame to an injury. Yeah, I don't feel that bad, but make me feel better. Ben Golliver tweets, the Los Angeles Lakers never started 0-4 during Jerry Buss's 34-year ownership tenure. (laughs) The Lakers are starting 0-4 for the third time in the past nine years. The remaining winless teams in the NBA are the Magic, the Kings, and the Lakers. (laughs) There you go. Blazers might not go 8-2-0. No. But the Lakers also might not win a game, so you got that going for you. Do the Lakers have their first-round pick this year? Or is it a trade? 
Is that I think a, it's a trade to the Pelicans. So the Pelicans have that I think pick it's too. The AD pick. Dear God, man, that's it. That's, that's scary for New Orleans because they can keep loading up talent with all those picks, um, or use it for a big trade, you know, or whatever. use it for a big trade. Yeah, an all-in move. That I, team is so awful. They're terrible. They're awful. There's no redeeming qualities. How do you build that roster? You just I don't know. I and and they gave their general manager an extension, like a four-year a four-year extension. extension. The rest, the Westbrook thing, like it's just it's horrible. It's not going to work, and it's it's hilarious. I'm enjoying every second of it. Like, look, Portland was due for a clunker. We all knew they were due for a clunker. They were not going to go undefeated. Miami's a good team, and it's a, it's a team that's off to a rough start this year. So you knew they, want, they weren't going to start one and four, right? There was going to be a sense of urgency from Miami. And then you add the Dame injury to it when it's like, what, an eight or nine-point game in the third quarter, and you're still hanging around trying to make your run. He goes out. That kind of shell shocks the crowd and the rest of the team, I would say, a little bit. The, the biggest thing that they need to clean up, and it has plagued them, I would argue, through every game that they played so far, They've just been able to overcome it. It's turnovers and bad passes. They've been very sloppy with the basketball this year. They had 19 turnovers last night. Yes. 19 turnovers. And it felt like all 19 of them, I don't know the exact number, but it felt like all 19 of them turned into an immediate bucket for Miami. or a 29 points they scored 29 off. 29 of. points in transit. Like, come on. Like that, 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 to me, is the biggest issue right now for Portland. There's just a sloppy nature for them offensively. And, again, they overcame it in their first four games, right? Somebody would get hot. Somebody would carry them. Whatever the case, last night with Dame down and Miami playing the way they were playing, that just it wasn't going to happen. So you got a pretty good indication at the end of the first half of like, eh, Miami's here. Portland controlled most of the first half, and all of a sudden you're losing going into the locker room, and then they just kind of blitzed them in the third quarter, and that was ball game. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm still going to say this: like, even though they didn't look good defensively and they turned the ball over a ton, and and Dame is out. Swag, let's let's cue this up. Let's get here from Dame. He was in the post game. He, he immediately he limped. He grimaced twice. Yeah. Limped once, went straight to the locker room. We didn't see him again. Blazers then announced that he is out the rest of that game last night with a calf strain. Here was Dame on, on the significance and where the injury is at for him. The last shot that I made, when I rose up real quick, I just I just felt it get real tight and um, went back on defense just to see like it, how it would feel. It felt fine running up the court, and then the next time I did another move, I tried to stop, and I just felt how tight it was, and it wasn't like something happened. It was just like, let me just... Let me just get it off the court and see what's going on. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't nothing that I was like overly concerned with. I just knew it wouldn't it didn't make sense to try to push through it in the, in the fucking fifth game of the season. I was just let's get to the back and see. So, so what are the docs telling telling you right now? Um, it's strained. Um, probably just a strain. I mean, I did treatment. I was able to do single leg calf raises, um, double leg. I was able to do everything. It just was it was tight, and um, you know that was it. Did you take any pictures, like MRI or anything? No. Okay. I mean, honestly, I, if this was a playoff game, I would have played. Yeah. And, um, you know, it would have been tight and uncomfortable, but I, I would play. Sure. So, um, you know, if that gives you any indication of like how concerned I, I am now, or would have been, I would have been feeling it was really on the line. Out. So there you go. He would have played if it was a playoff game. Their schedule is actually kind of nice for this uh, recovery process. He he won't play Friday. They'll play the Rockets. They can beat the Rockets, although I, I would say, like, the Rockets got a couple bucket getters, and if you struggle defensively, the Rockets can get you. But they play the Rockets, a team that I think a lot of us think they'll win. Mm-hmm. And then they don't play again until Wednesday. They get the Grizzlies yeah. next Wednesday, which is obviously a huge game just in the – Hey, kind of see where you stand in the Western Conference. The Nuggets were a good test for this. The Grizzlies will be another good test as well. We'll see if Dame is back by Wednesday of next week. That's a decent amount of time off for him, um, but not as serious. I looked it up. So turnovers per game, 
Interesting company they have here. They're seventh worst in the NBA in turnovers per game. Okay. Uh, the bottom team, the team with the most turnovers per game, L.A. Clippers. Huh. Utah's 29th. The Warriors are 27th. They're tied with the Wizards. The Timberwolves and the Bucks are all sloppier Interesting. than the Blazers. But what I would say about that is some of those teams I would trust to get less sloppy. Oh. Whereas I think Portland, it's interesting to kind of ask this out loud. Can they cut it out? I mean, it's not to say they can. It's just the, the roster makeup is a lot different than what you feel about the Bucks or what you feel about the Warriors or even the Clippers. <laughs> This is a team that's surprising the NBA. They're 4-1. and one, And it's without a doubt been one of the things that stuck out like a sore thumb of not good is the fact that they are very sloppy with the basketball. Yeah, Keith in a garbage truck says uh, he just needs a few days off. Maybe go to the coast, relax, come back, be fresh. <laughs> hey, great time. Let's get him out to Manzanita. <laughs> get him some good wine and we'll get him back in the action. I almost uh, bought a house in Manzanita yesterday. Yeah, hey, let's go, baby. Come on, look at you. And you're complaining about not making as much money as me. Well, I would uh, have to mortgage everything <laughs> I own. <laughs> I, I think it's the biggest key for them going forward. I, you know, defensively, there's going to be some nights where I think matchups are okay for them and survivable for them, and they're going to be able to hang around. And then you're going to have some games where, like Miami just kind of bullied you last night. They were just bigger. They were physical, especially on the defensive end. Portland had a really hard time getting to their spots and getting off clean looks, it felt like, in that third quarter. That's a good defensive team, right? Like That's, how, that's what Miami hangs their hat on year in and year out with guys like Bam and, and Jimmy Butler. Uh, so some nights the matchups are going to be better than others. But what I do know is you're going to run into teams in the Western Conference that are just more talented than you, that are better than you on paper. And if you want a chance to win, you cannot do things to shoot yourself in the foot. Like we go through this all the time in football. And I remember complaining about it with Oregon a couple of weeks ago because you're playing an inferior opponent. And if you commit X amount of penalties, if you're going to turn the football over, if you're going to make mental mistakes, like you're allowing a team that's not as good as you to hang around. You're giving them an opportunity to feel like they have life in this game. And the, the, the first thing you need to do if you want to be a good team is not beat yourself. And Portland is doing that a lot right now uh, with the turnovers. So it's the biggest thing that they need to clean up. I imagine that a big chunk of that is just guys that haven't played a ton of minutes together, right? Dame and Ant haven't been in this kind of role together yet in their careers where it's, they're the two guys in the backcourt. He had a rough night last night. He had a rough that Yeah, he did. Uh, Jeremy Grant's right fitting into this roster for the first time. He hasn't played with these guys outside of a couple minutes in the preseason. So he also had a rough night last he night. He did. Like They were due for one of those games, yeah. and now it's a question of, all right, you got a day off. Now you're back at it on Friday with a winnable game against Houston, and then you get some extra time to try and get some reps in and practice and clean this up, and you hope Dame's going to be back. Smart of him, though. Like If you feel anything in game five of the regular season, get the hell out of there. That game doesn't mean anything it's game five of the regular season and our the whole everything we've talked about all the optimism where could portland go what's the season going to look like sure it all rides on the shoulders of the letter o and you need him healthy it does i mean it, there's a lot of teams that are in a similar spot you, you lose your best player and you're going to go yes. way down significantly i still think they're gonna you know they're gonna have their ups and downs i i my takeaway last night was like oh okay yeah i played a great game not surprised it's still a style of basketball that's fun mm-hmm. and it's every night is kind of a coin flip because you just don't know what team are you getting? The team where everybody's hot and playing hard and diving and getting the loose ball and not turning the ball over a ton? Or is it the team that's very sloppy with the basketball, you know, gets stuck in switches defensively where Jimmy Butler is on the post against Anthony Simons? That's just egregious a, a mismatch. Felt like that happened three possessions in a row. It's just like post up, post up, post up. And there's like, it doesn't matter if Ann is 6'5 or if he's 6'6. Six, six. Like, that's just a really, no. Jimmy Butler's a massive human being. Yeah, that's his game. So that's a, that's a, that's a tough matchup for them. I, I thought that going into the game, I didn't bet Miami. Um, I bet a lot of like random prop bets in a parlay. 
but I did think going in that was going to be a tough matchup. They just present interesting wise talent talent roster wise a tough situation for what this Portland team is. I had a huge player prop that would have hit, but I needed Dame over twenty three and a half points. Oh, I took Dame under twenty four and a half. <laughs> he got hurt, with and 22. he got hurt at twenty two. I had everything Luckily, else. Uh, everything well, else. Unluckily, I had two other props. Anthony Simons at twenty. That didn't happen. Nah, that, did, that didn't happen. I had Bam over nine rebounds. He finished at eight. I'll tell you right now, the bet to keep an eye on for this team that feels like it's a lock night in and night out, just keep an eye on Josh Hart's rebounding over-under. See, I looked at that. He's averaging 10. Last night he had six. He had six, but I think the over-under was like five and a half. Uh, if you locked in the same game parlay? Yeah. Okay. I'll look it wasn't, at that next it was not. It was not crazy high because I was curious on that. He's And he came out and grabbed like four boards in the first quarter. So that was six boards without playing. I mean, did he even get in the game in the fourth quarter? I turned it off at the end of the third. Yeah. So I don't even know if he ended up. He only played 31 minutes. Um, so he could have got more too. But that dude's a rebounding machine. That's a good prop to keep an eye on. Uh, all right. Coming up next, let's dive into the Pac-12 a little bit. A couple of eye-opening things that I saw that I want to bring to your attention. We'll talk about that next on the Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by Team mobile you can count on t-mobile to help you stay connected on america's largest 5g network hey everyone boomer esiason here the nfl draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one the free odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country the local voices who know your team the best giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. All right, we'll go to Houston and talk with Chris Gordy of 790 Sports Radio, Astros and Phillies World Series preview. Ken Barkley at 8 a.m. I feel like we'll dive into this Washington State-Utah game a little more heavy. I'm not going to do it yet. I, I saw this yesterday. And I wanted to bring it up on the show. It's We don't talk a whole lot. Like, I think of, in football, the conversation gets brought up the most is quarterback. Yeah. Right? Like, hey, who's the best quarterback? Hey, how about that quarterback? What about this quarterback? And we largely overlook skill positions and linemen, and we don't talk a whole lot about those guys. I saw a poll question yesterday I thought was interesting, and this is from at West Coast CFB. They're a West Coast, obviously, based account, and it's basically all Pac-12 stuff. And they asked, best Pac-12 receiver. These are the four. Okay. Uh, I forget how to say the kid's name at UW. Uh, Odunza? I think that's how you say it. Yeah, yeah. okay. That's what I thought. Odunza. His numbers are crazy this year. Unbelievable. Yep. Um, Romeo Odunza, Troy Franklin, okay. Jordan Addison, or Jacob Cowing at okay. Arizona. And you know, it's straight across best receiver who you vote for. The top two results, number one, Odunza wins the poll question. At 47.1%. And Troy Franklin comes in second. And all respect to these guys. Jordan Addison just won the Bolitnikov. <laughs> and I've watched Jordan Addison play enough to go, yeah, he would be the best receiver on any team if you put him in any system on any team on, in this conference right now. These other receivers are great. It's Jordan Addison. It's not... I, I, I just... 14%? Jordan Addison was third in this poll question? Like, is this question based in Eugene and Seattle? Like, <laughs> what are we doing here? That's That That has the vibe of a bunch of Pac-12 voters who came together and said, screw you, USC. We're not going to give you the love here. Maybe you're right we on that. We want to vote for a wide receiver that plays for a school that's still committed to the conference. Because I, 
I'm with you. I, I love um, what Oregon has developed in Troy Franklin. And I, I, I'm, it's funny that we have these kind of synergy moments. I saw a tweet yesterday, and I wanted to do a segment on, the, on it today. Troy Franklin was named a finalist for the Bolitnikoff Award, which surprised me a little bit because his numbers are good. But, like, in, in conference play, he's, like, sixth in receiving yards yeah. in the Pac-12. But he's been a big play guy. He's got a lot of touchdowns, and he's had these big moments, that big touchdown catch this weekend against uh, UCLA. Obviously, he had a couple of them. Um, but it, it sparks my mind, my, my thought process of when has Oregon ever had a finalist for the Bolitnikoff Award? Oregon State's won it twice. I mean, you got Mike Hass, you got Brandon Cooks. We, we don't have a great tradition of wide receivers over the years. No. And it was really exciting for me to see that. But even that being said, and as good as Odunze is, Jordan Addison's the best wide receiver in the conference. Odunze is getting more targets because Washington's it's throwing the, the ball more. Yeah. And they're just, I mean, he has 50 right. catches and Addison has 39. Yeah. Uh, but Addison, I believe, is similar in touchdowns, if not one more touchdown. He's averaging more yards or similar yards per catch. It's just he's getting more volume. So if, if you wanted to say who's been the most productive wide receiver all year, sure, that, that, that's an okay vote. But for best, like if you were just doing a fantasy draft of Pac-12 wide receivers, as much as I hate to admit it, I mean, Jordan Addison is the number one pick in that he's draft. He's an amazing route runner. Yeah. And not that these guys aren't. It's just he is a next-level type route runner. I'll be interested to see what his pro career is going to be, but I mean, he's flourished in Pittsburgh, and now he here he is doing it with USC. Uh, you mentioned Troy Franklin, and I'm I'm kind of glad that you brought that up. Where is he? I mean, it's crazy to ask this question, but I think you're right. Like you guys are more of a running back quarterback school than you are wide receiver. Oh, our running back legacy is crazy, going back 30 years. You got good DBs. Yeah. You got some defensive linemen. You got some offensive linemen that have lengthy careers. No wide receivers. Wide receivers, kind of the one position for Oregon. Hell, you've even had some tight ends. Wide receiver is kind of the one spot for your team that's never really been that great. No, but you got to go back a long ways. It's also never been a place like schematically where I think the receiver is as important as the other positions. Whereas like Oregon State had Sean Mannion. So what are you going to do with that guy? Well, <laughs> sling the rock. <laughs> We're throwing it a ton. They've had some good running backs too, but you know they've been in that position. Where is he in terms of like the last what amount of years at wide receiver? Because yes, maybe his numbers don't rival some of the other numbers in the conference. But I think the reason he gets that Belitnikoff kind of look is it's the big play. It's the catch against BYU, one-on-one coverage coming yeah. down with it somehow. It's the play against Washington State, make the catch, take a hit that probably should have sent you to the floor, keep a hand on the ground, keep up, go all the way to the end zone. The catch play. against Stanford was unbelievable on the sidelines. They had to redo the replay, and they saw that he got his toes down. It's the big playability, I think, of him, and he's having a good year he's got to be one of the best receivers in the last 15, 20 years, right? He's he's on pace for it. Like, numbers, he's not quite there yet, but he's trending in that direction. There's no doubt about it. Like, Oregon's had really good wide receivers. Like, you go back long enough, you got your Sammy Parkers and your Keenan Howries and your um, uh, 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 Patrick Johnson. J.J. Burdens. J.J. Burdens, right? Yeah, like, if you right. go back long enough, there's and even to the, like, title teams, yeah, Jeff Mayle was a really good wide receiver. You're right, I forgot about T. Jeff Mayle. T.J. Davis yeah, was you're a right. really good wide receiver, but the question is, They've never had an elite, like a guy that's a true game changer. Do you think he's elite? I think he can become it. I think the exciting part about Troy Franklin that you remind yourself, he's a true sophomore. So wait, you don't think he's there already? I I think he's trending in that direction. And I think you can make an argument that maybe he is already there. But I think if you want to get to that point of saying you're one of the best wide receivers in the history of the program and a true elite game changer... I just I want to see a full season sample size, right. but he is undoubtedly their go-to guy in the passing game. He has been all year. You highlighted a lot of the big plays that he's made. It's just something that they haven't had, and and I would love for him to turn into it. It's another one of those examples when you look, and I know freshmen are different than sophomores, and he was a true freshman last year, but you can't tell me that these intangibles weren't in there. 
He had 18 catches for 200 yards last year. That's it. I mean, he topped that in like two games against BYU and against Washington State. He went over that. I mean, he's at 35 catches already at basically halfway through the year, 561 yards. So he's trending to be a thousand yard wide receiver. And I can't, I mean, when was the last time Oregon had a thousand yard wide receiver? Maybe it's more recently than I can remember, but there's not a year that jumps off. And he's already got five touchdowns. So you could be having a wide receiver that's averaging 16 yards a catch and double digits and touchdowns like that. That is a difference maker that Oregon has, has not had. They've had really good wide receivers over the over the years. Uh, the last one, probably Dylan Mitchell, but he was a one-year kind of... That, the, was, uh, he well, that was, was Herbert's last year, that, right? No, it was, it was 2018, so it was Herbert's junior, junior year. Junior, okay. Uh, and he decided to bolt for the NFL, and I haven't heard from him since. So that was, But he was a good wide receiver and, and similar to what kind of Troy Franklin's doing, but there wasn't any longevity there. Uh, it kind of does make you wonder if you had that system a year earlier. You mentioned his numbers as a freshman. There was a player that you lost to the portal, and he's at Florida State right now, Mike Pittman. Like, you just wonder if players like Pittman, who you had once upon a time, they just – Is he having a good year? 22 catches, 266, and three tutties. For Pittman? Yeah. Okay. At I mean, Florida not... State. At 12.1 average, though. That's not horrible. It's not awful, but, yeah. you know, I you kind of wonder would he be in this offense next to a Frank – I don't know. I just – I think when you get a system like this, it's sometimes – it's easy – to look back and go, damn, he was, he was good. Like I, I'll give you, I'll give you an example from the Oregon State side. What I would give to have a time machine go bring Marcus McMarion to the present in this Oregon State <laughs> offense. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. you do those kind of situations sometimes. Why I, did we let that guy go? Or why, why did our system suck? Yeah, <laughs> I mean know, that's like, a, that's a big. That's why Micah Pittman transferred. He wasn't getting the football. Wasn't getting the football, and I don't. I, it wasn't I Franklin reportedly eyeing. Like people were talking about, whispering that he was maybe looking at it, and then I wouldn't be surprised. I it just it's it, I, like they had Cam Colvin that they signed back in the day. He was one of the highest rated recruits in program history and just never really panned out that's the other exciting part about this recruiting class and I, I think they're in the top 10 now but they have a guy in Jurian Dickey who is known as one of the best wide receivers in the country he's a five-star recruit yeah and that's I mean Oregon just has not signed difference makers like that on the offensive side of the ball very often they've gotten some big running backs over the years they've gotten some great quarterbacks over the years we know that offensive linemen but getting a, getting a game changer to plug into this offense and potentially have outside next to guys like Thornton and Seven McGee and Troy Frank, like it's just the, the sky's the limit for how good this offense could become. And I hope that continues to be a priority for the staff. Yeah, coincidentally, they did a Pac-12 quarterback question. Penix won that. For the best quarterback in the conference? Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I disagree uh, pretty, pretty easily, but I get it. And his numbers are great. His numbers are pretty good, yeah. A lot of that is, well, I mean, I keep saying system. It's no different for Bo Nix and the way he's having a year or even Caleb Williams, who's, you know, obviously lighting it up for USC. Those are really good systems that they're in. Uh, I I guess the thing I would take away from the UW situation and seeing that they've got this stud wide receiver, they got a, you know, got got a good quarterback play. You just wonder, like, can they ever get their defense elite? Yeah. Can Kalen DeBoer get the defensive side of the ball truly elite to the point where his offense is you know, leading everything and the defense is closing everything up. It's a huge question. I think the other question for them, and Oregon showed this this past weekend, it's one of the reasons why I think they deserve to be the favorite in the conference. They, there are times late in games when you need to be able to play a different style. And that's the biggest fear I have for Washington right now. Like, go back to the end of that Cal game for anybody that was psychoing up at 11 o'clock at night as it was finishing. They can't, like, being able to run the football and have a dominant offensive line and churn down the clock and say, hey, we got the ball with seven minutes left and we're going to run this thing down to zero and there's nothing you could do about it. 
that makes you really tough to beat. But Washington had a really hard time closing that game out. They're more one-dimensional. Right, they're one-dimensional. Washington State is similar to that. Uh, USC can get their ground game going, but their offensive line isn't necessarily elite. And when teams know you want to run the football, yeah. can you run the football on them? That is a huge strength for an offense to have. And there's not many in the conference that can do it right now. Yeah, Kim Barkley at 8 a.m. We'll get into the Utah-Washington State football game tonight. Also got Thursday night football. We got Tom Brady in a must-win situation. And as Dirt pointed out, you also have Lamar Jackson in a must-win situation. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk about that as well and a whole lot more. But Chris Gordy down in Houston is going to join us next. We'll get a World Series preview from him, how he feels about this matchup with the Astros and the Phillies. That's next. Daily Ticker on the fan. In this wide world of sports, some stories can slip through the cracks. Now before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Pelican Brewing presents the Daily Ticker, where Dirt and Sprague visit with the insiders that are covering the stories you've heard about. Some you haven't. How'd you do that? Actually, I'm not even mad. It's amazing. The Daily Ticker with Dirt and Spray is brought to you by Pelican Brewing. Born at the Beach. All right, Daily Ticker time here on a Thursday. Brought to you in the fan by Pelican Brewing Company. Born at the Beach online at pelicanbrewing.com. The World Series begins tomorrow. Game one down in Houston. And let's preview it and talk about it with our good friend Chris Gordy. At Chris Gordy on Twitter. You can go give him a follow at Sports Talk 790 uh, down in Houston. We're, we're going down to the evil empire. Okay, down to the evil empire. That dun, is. Dun, dun, <laughs> the dun, 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 dun. How does it feel, Chris, that 88% of the country is rooting against you? Are you guys, like, fully embracing this now? Like, this, this, it's okay, bring it on? Well, I mean, welcome to Houston, where we don't lose playoff games. Uh, that's all we got going on down here. So, uh, you know, if, if you want to jump on it, guys, I saw, I think it's plus 2,500 on the betting lines for the Astros to sweep the Phillies. Not a bad bet if you want to make some coins. Has yeah. anybody ever gone undefeated? In the playoffs, like the whole th- whole I, I thing. I think it's yeah. Somebody told me it's happened before, but you know, you, you get screwy when you get go back to like nineteen twelve, where they played yeah. like four games and that was a sweep. You know, so <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it, I, it has happened before, but it would certainly be impressive for uh, for this bunch to do it. Well, Chris, I, I got to be honest with you, man. I'm a Turner baby up here in Portland. We don't have a team, so I gravitated towards the Bravos. I've always hated the Astros. You know, even for long, the, the cheating stuff and everything that went down when they were in the NL East, I hated them, and so. My hatred's pure, and it's honest, and it's real. A lot of people picked up this hatred for that team when the you know the investigation stuff went down. I asked this to my co-host, Chris, and I'll ask you. You know, no matter how you felt about that storyline, and I, I always heard the other side of that, like, well, how many teams were cheating as well? Like, there were a lot. Don't you think we're past the point where that should still be the narrative on this team, given that some of that talent's gone now, and they still continue to not only get to the ALCS, but get to the World Series almost every year? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, if you're rooting against the Astros, you must ha- hate Dusty Baker. You, do you also hate babies, too, and other great things? Do, do you hate sunsets? I mean, come on, man. Dusty Baker is like the easiest, <laughs> he's the easiest dude to root for. So, uh, yeah, look, it, it's the, the longer, the further we get away from 2017, the more distant memory it is, for, particularly for the Houston fans. But other fans will not let them live it down. I mean, this is how stupid it is. There's only five dudes on the team from 2017. It's yeah. Verlander, McCullers, Jose Altuve, Yuli Gurriel, and Alex Bregman. And, you know, if you want to make up fake narratives, sure. But if you want to go read the actual facts, Jose Altuve didn't partake in the cheating uh, scandal, the bang on the trash cans. He was opposed to it. People get on him because, oh, he should have spoken out and thrown his team under the bus and said, stop this cheating. Yeah, we all have that moral compass, but put yourself in those shoes and see if you do it when, you know, when you're trying to win a title. Um, look, they, they've apologized for it. They, they did everything they could to move on from it, and people just won't let them, let them live, uh, move on. So 
it is what it is. I think those five guys want to win this title because it will be a, quote, clean uh, World Series. And if they can add this to their arsenal, I think the 2017 one gets, you know, becomes more and more of a distant memory. Oh, so yeah. uh, I think those five guys want to, want to win it for that reason. But it's funny, these other guys, you know, that have come up that weren't on the team in 2017, like Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez and Luis Garcia and Fromber Valdez and, you know, I'm at Yankee Stadium and people are yelling, cheaters at them. And Kyle Tucker's like, dude, I wasn't even here in 2017. What are you talking about? So it's just funny. Uh, you know, it's something that, that will never uh, that will never move on from him. But it's funny. You know, I go watch George Springer play for Toronto. Nobody's yelling cheater at him. I'm watching all these guys that have moved on. Marlon Gonzalez, who was one of the biggest cheaters ever that year, went to the Yankees. Yankee fans seem to forget that. Oh, no, he plays for us now. He's not a cheater anymore. So it's just stupid. People need to move on from him. It, 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 as time goes on, we hear more and more about what teams were doing that year. The Rockies were doing something. Obviously, the Red Sox and Yankees had the Apple Watch scandal. Everybody was trying to relate fine, but Rob Manford would have you believe it was the it was only the Astros, the big bad Astros that were trying to do it. Well, Chris, we've got one of the more beautiful coastlines in the world, and people that live here are telling me that our beach sucks. So, yes, people do hate sunsets and Dusty <laughs> Baker. It is possible. <laughs> Dusty Baker is a national treasure, damn it. I, I, I'm curious you brought that up. We're talking about Chris Gordy of uh, Sports Talk 790 in Houston, at Chris Gordy on Twitter. Like, it is it is crazy. The run that they've been on is nuts, right, to, like, go to this many ALCSs to continue to win at a high level despite, as you mentioned, only five guys from that original team that won that championship that are still hanging around. Is there a, is there a built-in sense of pressure for them, though? Like, we give our producer a lot of crap. He's a Dodger fan. I'm a Giant fan. So I love making fun of him because his team has only won one championship in 30 years, and it was the it was the COVID year. That's a no-count season. 80-game season, right? Neutral side. I'm not counting that crap. Go win a real World Series. I'm assuming that hangs over the head Why of the Astros. Why does Swag need to catch a stray in your question? <laughs> well, hold on. I'm making a larger point. I'm assuming that hangs over the head of the Astros where it's like, hey, the only one of these you won – was the one where you were connected to cheating, right? You lose to the Nationals. You go back and lose. Uh, you know, you, you've been back a couple of times, and yet you had the Braves last year, obviously. So is there a built-in sense of pressure to just get that monkey off your back and say, see, that wasn't the reason we won a World Series? Yeah, I, like I said, I think, I think that pressure is only on those five guys who are here. Maybe Jim Crane, the owner. I mean, there's a different GM. There's a different manager. There's a, a whole you know, different front office guys now. I mean, 2017, a lot of those people were not here for that. So – you know, for a guy like Jordan Alvarez, yeah, he lost the World Series in 2019 to the Nationals. He lost the World Series last year to the Braves. Yeah, he wants to break through and win one. Um, you know, I think this pitching staff is, is the best that the Astros have had in a really long time. And that's saying a lot when you consider 05, they had Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit, and Roy Oswald. And then, you know, 2019, you had Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Zach Greinke. This mix of Verlander, McCullers, Christian Javier, Fromber Valdez, it's unbelievable how good the starting pitching has been. And then the bullpen has been nails. Ryan Presley has been lights out as a closer and all the guys in between. So to me, the, the pressure is more on, you know, the hitters in this series. Mm-hmm. Philly's got a couple of good front end starters in Nola and Wheeler, but after that, it's a little sketch. So I think the hitters need to come through and, and find a way to sc- scratch across the runs. Cause they never put up a crooked number in, in any of those games. You know, yeah. they're all close. The three games they swept against Seattle, the four games against the, uh, the Yankees, I think game three was 5-0, but all the rest were, were one, one or two run scores. So uh, a little bit of pressure on them. But how about this for pressure, guys? Uh, coming up on Friday night with, with Justin Verlander on the mound, Verlander 0-6 in World Series games. A little bit of pressure on him to come out, oh. be dominant, and set the tone because uh, 
he, I know he wants to get that monkey off his back and get his first World Series victory. Well, Chris, let me ask you about the matchup. I, you know, I said this after the Phillies got past the Cardinals, and then they obviously took on the Braves. They have a very similar feel to the Bravos, where you know they they won sub ninety games, and you know not everybody's talking about them. Then they get in, and their their bats get hot. Their pitching is just amazing. Like their bullpen's been pretty lights out. They they're playing great baseball right now. And and Houston saw this last year with Atlanta. Um, so biggest difference you're seeing just in, in what last year was versus this year in this Phillies team and, and, and just the matchup with Houston in general. Yeah, I think what's crazy is when the Astros went to Atlanta last year, it was raining every day. I mean, it was a downpour. And the Astros had not been to Truist Park in a, in a long time. And a lot of their you know, newer players had never played there. They didn't get to take any batting practice until, you know, game five or, or game, uh, yeah, game five. So game three and four, the bats were cold. They couldn't do anything. And it's not the end-all, be-all. I've talked to some people in baseball. are like, eh, you know, batting practice in a new park that you never play. It doesn't matter. Some other guys said, yeah, it does matter. It even matters defensively. And, and you know, recognizing how balls play off the wall and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I'm not saying that's the reason the Astros lost last year, but it didn't help, um, you know, going to, going to Atlanta, a place they really ever played. The bats went cold. Um, but I think they're in a scenario here where they're playing a team in Philadelphia that is not supposed to be here. You know, they're riding a hot wave, and I just wonder, you know, the Astros have been there, done that in so many postseasons in recent years. I just think they've got that pedigree where, you know, if, if it's a tight game and a big opportunity, I think the Astros know how to get out of jams, know how to, uh, you know, pitch in, in certain scenarios and all that, whereas the Phillies, this is kind of new to them. This is the first postseason for a lot of these guys. Now you got – a guy like Kyle Schwarber, who's played like multiple postseasons and had great success. Uh, but some of these guys, it's, it's new hat for them. You know, Aaron Nola, this is new for him. So uh, I'll be curious to see how the Phillies respond. Sometimes you just run into that red hot team. Like I said, that the Nats were that team in 19, the Braves were that team last year. And uh, here's hoping as a Houston fan that uh, this is not going to be Phillies year. Hey, you guys yeah. don't want the NL East, do you? Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> something about the NL East, I guess, man, you need another NL West team in there or something like that. Yeah. The Verlander stats crazy. Uh, last one for you, Chris, did they get it done? They win it this year. I think so. Um, I, I said uh, Astros in five. I think they win it in Philly. I'll be uh, heading up to Philly on Sunday night. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I had friends talking about, well, game six and seven next weekend in Houston. I said, no, 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 it's, it's, they're not coming back for game six or seven. This thing is ending in Philly and the Astros are going to win this series. And hopefully we can get rid of some of this buzzer crap and all these other stupid internet rumors that people started about the Astros. I, I heard the, the batter's box buzzed when, uh, when El Tupe was in the box. Like, all this stupid asinine stuff. Go, go to your QAnon message boards for that stuff. It, it's stupid. That'd be pretty cool. If they could put a little buzzer underneath the batter's box, that's bad. That's next-level technology, man. I want to know how they figure that I, out. I heard Q is a disgruntled AL fan, he is, and he's yeah, really just mad he the is. Astros are dominating. He totally is. That's he's a Yankee he's, fan. He's a total Yankee fan. He's spreading all this stuff about the Astros. Chris Gordy, Sports Talk 790 in Houston. <laughs> at Chris Gordy on Twitter. Enjoy the World Series, man. We always appreciate the time. Thanks. All right, guys. Enjoy your Blazers. Yeah, thank you. There you go. Chris Gordy uh, of Houston. I want to talk a little bit about this because, as you pointed out, tomorrow is a football Friday. And I'm sure we'll have a few thoughts maybe in the final segment, that kind of thing. But we wanted to preview the World Series. And uh, let's get into it next. I also am going to tie in another fan base. If you are a fan of the Seattle Mariners, there is a team that you should be rooting for in this World Series. But it's not for the reason that you think. And I'll tell you why next on The Fan. Well, nothing like guys to come on and get people fired up. I, look, I... This we, is we, gonna, we would all be Chris if, if it was our yes, team and our city. If this was the Portland Trailblazers... 
You know, it could have been. It, it very it, it very well could have been when they had the Jailblazer kind of era kind of starting. That that Blazer team with Rasheed, like I just read a thing the other day, a, a thread on their fight against the Warriors and Sam Mills. Do you remember that fight? I, I remember it vividly. Rasheed did the game winner, and Sam Mills reportedly blocked the bus and wanted to oh, fight the was, Blazers. Yeah. That, was a, that wasn't a Blazer team that was loved by everybody. And so, like, we kind of would have been in it. It's not the same situation, but we would have been like, yo, our guys are, we're going to beat you. And so, like, Chris comes on, and we've had Chris on since 2017 a couple times. I, he's doing what everybody else would do in their sports city. Yes. He's defending his team. Well, I go back and forth with this with John Sicanic all the time because he hates Barry Bonds. And I get, I get baseball people that hate Barry Bonds. The argument that I always try and point to, and, I'm, and Chris kind of alluded to it there, it's like you, you rooted for guys that were on steroids. So is it just the, it's just because he was better than them on steroids? That's why you hate him? Because you had no problem supporting Nelson Cruz every time he hit a home run, and that dude got popped for steroids how many times in his career? Right. Every time he hit a home run, it was hashtag boomstick, and you're loving every second of it. Like, for everybody that's sending in, I hate the Astros, I hate the Astros, if Jose Altuve got traded to your team and had a good postseason run, you're not rooting for him? Like, that was the argument that Chris Gordy made that was spot on, was that when these guys go to new teams, nobody cares. Marwin Gonzalez was a big cheater for that Astros World Series team. He went to the Yankees, and they didn't care. Well, Chris's point of these players, like, is, is George Springer getting booed in Toronto? No, he's no. not. Nobody's booing him, right? <laughs> so, I look, I get it. You can have all the animosity you want towards the Astros. Two things in my mind rattle around. One is... Uh, I, I think they were, to a certain extent, scapegoated by Major League Baseball. Everybody, maybe not everybody, but the vast majority of teams and players were probably finding ways to cut corners and how do we get, how do we relay signs? Like, that is a very regular thing. Did they take it to a further extent? Probably. But at the end of the day, when they've won this consistently without the quote-unquote cheating, it's like, I can't knock them down for that. This isn't a fake good team that only won because they cheated one year. They're clearly a well-run organization. They're going to their fourth World Series in however many years. They've been dominant in the ALCS. Like I, I get. It. I, I, I'm not rooting for Houston to win this series. I'm actually really excited for the matchup because I think there's a fun storyline there. If Houston does lose again, um, and the only one that they have is the one that was the year with the cheating scandal, I think Philly is fun as hell to watch. Man, the top two guys atop the rotation, Schwarber's and he is the modern day Babe Ruth, just a masher. It's a really good piece on ESPN about how him leading off has changed everything for them, and it how has, he's, man. he's he's gotten really hot in this postseason. How about the modern baseball move of taking a guy who's a giant that can't really run, that barely bats two hundred, and you hit him lead off because <laughs> he's hitting lead off home runs, working, hitting lead off taters, and I. I'm really excited for Bryce Harper. Like you and I kind of talked about him earlier in the week of this is a cool moment for him. He's been one of the faces of baseball for a long time. Yep. He leaves Washington. They win the World Series the next year. Like it's he hit the big home run in, in game five against the Padres in the NLCS. I'm happy that Bryce Harper is having this kind of moment in the sun and he's he's a face of the sport. I will, though, if you're a, if you're a fan of let me see here, the Mariners, Padres, Giants, Angels, Marlins or Orioles. Yeah, okay. what, what was your tease here? I was confused because I was wondering if Mariner fan even could follow this. So here is here is why you should be rooting for a team. Now, the, the conventional wisdom for Mariner fans is who you're rooting against, right? You're rooting against the Astros. You hate the Astros. That is okay. You can root for the Philadelphia Phillies, but here's the reason. There is a tweet out there, and I, I stumbled across this somehow the other day, ironically from somebody in Seattle, and the Twitter handle is at BigDumperPM. <laughs> Which I just love. This is Swag's burner account. This is Swag's burner account. Totally. And this tweet is from November 2nd of 2019. Ah, to a pre-COVID world. Boy, that's pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. I'm getting ready for Vietnam at that point. You are. You're getting ready to go to Vietnam. Yeah, you went to Vietnam December of 2019. Mm -hmm. 
And this Twitter account predicted the next 10 World Series champions in November on November 2nd, 2019, okay? So for 2020, that was the first, this was right after the 2019 World Series when the Nationals won. He starts with 2020. Who did he predict? The Dodgers. Wow. The Dodgers won the Wish World Series. Wish he would have predicted a pandemic first. Then Dodgers World and Series. And then Dodgers. That would have been really amazing. 2021, who did he predict? My Bravos. The Atlanta Braves. Wow. 2022, who did he predict? The Philadelphia Phillies. Oh, no. For 2023, yeah. his prediction is the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> So I think the synergy shows. So you want to root for the Phillies. I mean, you were already rooting for the Phillies originally, but my tease was for a reason you don't know. The the big dumper PM on Twitter, has he has the time machine, and he's seen future World Series champions. I'm glad to announce my Giants will be winning one in 2026. The Mariners will get a second in 2025. You're going to go two in three years. Who wins it in 24? Uh, 24 is the San Diego Padres. Boy, Padres This is conceivable. Is it not a conceivable future for the sport? These are all teams that you can see winning. I mean... He kind of went out of left field with a couple of those. The Dodgers, not really. But the Braves, yeah, they've had postseason, you know, not great luck. The the fan base has largely thought since 1995 the Braves are just jinxed. (laughs) When they play in the playoffs, they lose. Now, they've been right for most of the time, but the Braves finally broke through last year, (laughs) and they got them another chip. The Mariner one's not an easy pick. No. We didn't see the Mariners coming a couple years ago. Like nope. it was a joke. They were just it was a farm system, and we, there's been too many times to count that farm systems Hell, don't develop. I would say the Padres. The Padres in 2019. Like, were you thinking World Series? I think they probably just gotten Machado. Right, but I I don't I think they still had Hosmer. Hosmer like, yeah, well, they had Hosmer until they traded him finally this year to right. get out of that contract. But but we weren't. I don't know if we were looking at them as World Series. So it you know. And maybe you guys get judged. You're the Vegas favorite right now to get Aaron Judge at 2-1. to one. No, we're spending big this offseason. Well, you you have to. Yeah, you guys yeah. are becoming irrelevant in the Bay. Hey, 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 hey. Well, no, hey. It's, it's a competition in the Bay. Hey. It's who's, beca- who's, a re- who's relevant. And Stanford football is hard to keep up with. <laughs> Luckily for you, you do have that as, <laughs> as kind of quote-unquote competition. Uh, I am interested in, in this part, too. One, Dusty Baker potentially getting his first ring as a manager is... You know, I know a lot of people aren't going to root against the Astros, and they're not going to be happy when they do it. Th- there will be a huge part of me and my youth that's going to emerge. I was never a, a Giants fan per se, but I loved Bonds. I always loved the SF logo, right? As kind of a bandwagon Niner fan. I rooted for the Giants to beat the Angels in 02. How do you not? That rally monkey was stupid. And I love Dusty Baker since then. And so, like, I, I want to see a guy who I think is a good manager, he was a good player. I want to see him get it capped off. Totally. With a ring. I think he'd actually retire if he ended up winning it this year. And so I, I'd love to see him get a ring. If they win it, I'll be happy with that. He's had so many chances, man. People forget, too, he was the Cubs manager for the Bartman game. Yes, he was. Uh, and they shouldn't have lost that series. But no, you they, have we double- forgotten Dusty Baker won a World Series as a player with the Dodgers in 1981? It's different as a manager. Like, yeah, player, like, that's great. Um, but I'm talking as a manager. And so, like, I think he's a really good manager. I, I watched a clip yesterday. It got released. It was uh, 30. I, I'm not doing the math right. But okay. it was. I think it was 25 years ago. So 25 years ago today, Edgar Renteria ended the World Series in 97 against the yeah. Cleveland Indians at that point. Now the Guardians. And you know what I thought? There was a clip where they showed Jim Leland celebrating. And then they went to the visiting dugout and I went, Mike Hargrove is a name we will never talk about. Mark Hargrove, Mike Hargrove was a good co- was he a good was. manager. They had some great years in Cleveland over the years. And they just came up on the short end of that stick. And so I like to see good managers 
rewarded. I think Dusty's good. He's going to need Jose Altuve and Jordan Alvarez to not combine for one hit in a series, though. Because <laughs> you can beat yep. the Yankees that way. Yep. I don't think you can beat this Phillies team playing the way they are right now that way. Legendary Mariners manager, Mike Hargrove. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. he came in the middle of the crap storm that was the Seattle <laughs> franchise. <laughs> so I'm with you. I, there's a consolation prize there. Lock in your future bet, though, so you can find – I'll tweet this out with the show page. Uh, this guy in 2019 predicted the Dodgers to win in 20, the Braves to win in 21, and he's got the Phillies in 2022. And so if the Phillies win, next up on his prediction docket is the Seattle Mariners in 2023. So lock in that futures bet. we got a lot to get to in the final hour of the show. Uh, i got a couple of college football notes I want to dive into Thursday night. Football is coming up tonight. Uh, but we'll start, though, with our good buddy Ken Barkley. He kicks it off next on The Fan. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 